Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 145 for Monday, June 14th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixelrifts, and joining me as always is a lightly mossy Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Moss, because Moss Man was one of the masters of the universe oh, of uh, course. back in the 80s. Uh, and that's what we just spent the render distance talking about. Uh, there's a new He-Man cartoon coming to Netflix, uh, also some D&D adventures. Uh, so if you want to hear more about that kind of thing, you can check out the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. And that is over at patreon.com slash the chunks, where we talk about a little bit of extra stuff every single week. It sure is. And a little bit of extra stuff is coming to us next week as well. And hopefully he'll be able to stick around for the entire show. But we are delighted to announce and announce uh, with our fingers crossed, because obviously things can go wrong and schedules change and whatnot. But uh, King B-Dogs from the Minecraft development team is going to be joining us next week, hopefully, to talk about his journey with Minecraft. Uh, we're hopefully going to touch on topics like developing the ether mod uh, joining the mojang team and his work on the caves and cliffs update uh, no promises but if you want to get in some email questions for king b dogs the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com and hopefully we'll have a couple of good emails that we can read on the show but excited to have somebody from the mojang team finally join us uh, to talk about their work on minecraft i am very much looking forward to that it's gonna be a lot of fun so uh, what have you been up to in, in Minecraft this week? Without trying to steal too much from our discussion later, because this is obviously the first episode we'll have done after the release of Caves and Cliffs Update Part 1, Minecraft 1.17. And so our discussion today is mostly going to be about our first impressions of getting the update into our permanent world, which I believe we've both done at this point, right? You've updated the uh, the Citadel now. And that's exactly what I, I, I really spent the week doing. Uh, I um, I didn't get to my Wednesday stream because I was still working on uh, things behind the scenes. So I went through the fairly straightforward, though lengthy process of backing up the Citadel server, downloading and then opening it up the uh, different regions in uh, MCA Selector, trimming the chunks. Uh, I also went through the extra time to trim the chunks very tightly to the medieval area on the server and i'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute uh, but it also means that i had to update a few of the mods uh that are, are we're running on the server we run fabric on the server for performance issues so i wanted to double check to see what was working there that also meant that you wanted to check your client side mods those are really not that hard because we only ever use like three or four just for for, for uh, performance most of the time however data packs of course now have to be updated and sometimes the update from the data pack is just a matter of changing um i can't remember what the file name is it's like a pack package something anyway there's a version number that changes whenever the minecraft version number changes and it allows those data packs to work and sometimes there's very little work involved you just have to go and download the other data pack but we run a good I want to say almost two dozen data packs on on the Citadel, and they're all just quality of life stuff, you know, like Enderman griefing, multiplayer sleep, like the kind of thing that just makes multiplayer server life a little bit easier. Uh, and um, I had to go through and do all the updates on those. And again, while it's not difficult, it's the kind of um, process that you kind of have to sit down and do it all at once. Otherwise, you're going to lose your space 
and you're going to feel like you've forgot something or messed up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, because all of these data packs have got really long names with like a version number that's like 1.0.1. And the next one is like 1.0.3. Yeah. Or it's or it's more complicated to, you know, to figure out it's like 1.7.8 or 1.7.9. You're just like, oh, gosh. Like, I don't know why. I mean, it's because it's, it's community developed and they're all good data packs. But sometimes the naming conventions are a little bit hard to organize. So I went through and did all that. And with the medieval area in general, uh, I w- because I'm the one that's played there the most, uh, I knew precisely where I have built and where I have not built. And so I used some of the rivers and some of the biome borders to trim chunks like really as close as I could to the modern, uh, sorry, the medieval city so that I didn't have to travel too far afield to get, you know, other new blocks that are coming with the Caves and Cliffs update part one. Um, But I used uh, a really cool feature on MCA Selector. It has a filter and it's not something that selects the uh the the chunks for you which you showcased on one of your tutorial videos but it's like a heat map and it's just an overlay that you can turn on and off so you can bring up your entire world and then you can bring up this filter and say okay any place that i've not been for you know two minutes that i've been for two minutes or less make it blue and then there's a gradient of blue green yellow orange red and you say okay red those are places that I've been or or players have been in for at least 60 minutes. Yeah, those are like the, so the hot you, spots of activity, as it were. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you, you layer that on and very quickly you get this sense of like, oh, OK. So while this continent has been built up on, there's a good chunk of it down like in the south section that's pretty green, which means that you know, five minutes or less, you know. Uh, and so, and plus, because you can see the topography and you can see the world, like if there's anything built there, you can find it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't know much that you can do in Minecraft in less than an hour. So I felt pretty safe trimming the chunks to uh, the blue and the green edges of the, this kind of heat map. And it was really handy because I, I found that the auto select feature, while cool, it's a little bit hard to figure out, well, what's what and and like to be specific about it whereas this allowed me to kind of go in and trace the coastlines and stuff like that um and so i was able to do that and get in very tight with the uh the medieval area and um and end up with you know new content not too far away from the medieval city which was which is cool it just it is a lengthy process it's now the i think it's the third time i've had to do it uh first time i think was with the nether update and um, I get practice because, of course, I have to do it with Infinity Cove, my patron server as well. So that's that's next on the chopping block. Yeah, I mean, great that you can get so close to a project that you've been working on for the last little while, though, because if you've updated terrain around there and you're like, hmm, let me maybe get a couple of copper blocks for this blacksmith build or something, you can yep. just literally hop over to the next biome and go caving there for copper instead of having to go, you know, potentially thousands of blocks out. That's That's a good move. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of fun. And and uh, I took your uh, advice slash, I guess, inspired from a comment that you made on one of the show a couple weeks ago. And I've designated a nearby village that borders on a mountain biome to be our mine. So it's going to be a mine built, not just a place where I dig down and go looking for stuff. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to kind of take a break from the medieval city and go and do like a little bit more of a mining industrial thing. I've got plans for cranes and support pillars. And, you know, I was hoping to find an abandoned mine shaft, but we didn't. Um, I did luck out, though, and I was able to find a ravine. And I'll get into the details of all this kind of stuff later on in, in the show. But essentially, uh, I split my time on stream between building a smokehouse behind the butcher shop. 
and having that be filled with like you know hanging meat and and stuff on chains and there's a there's a fire box on the outside and there's smoke coming from the roof adding to like the activity in that area of town uh, and because I wanted to try and make it look like a regular smokehouse I didn't want any part of it to be flammable so um, I uh, used deep slate for the roof uh, which was the first time I did a, a proper new build with some of the new blocks so uh, it was a lot of fun I mean we'll get into a little bit more of the details later but uh, it was good it was nice to kind of have that break you know, new updates in Minecraft. It's nice to kind of like say, I don't have to build today. We can just go look for stuff. Yeah. You know, I mm -hmm. feel like that's, it's a nice break sometimes from the, what are we building today? You know, it's, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit, not, I wouldn't say tedious, but it's a, it's nice to have a shift in gameplay to like, okay, let's go unlock some of these new things. Let's get some, you know, uh, resources built up so that we have more options as we build more things going forward. It's not quite the new server smell, but it is close enough kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. New server smell. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we talked about that before, though, is like just the, the, the feeling of starting a new space and like the joy of exploring and finding all of those kind of quirky things about new terrain generation that you haven't seen before and, and how how the world has laid itself out for you. Um, I've had the pleasure of that twice over uh, this week because I have been part of the launch of a new SMP, uh, which is named Empire's SMP. It's a 1.17 server with 10 content creators, myself included, uh, and each of us is claiming a biome or a region with unique resources with the aim of trading or warring over the resources we can farm. So one person makes an iron farm and they've effectively claimed iron production through that method and then instead of having a shopping district we're all going to kind of have excuses to visit each other's bases see what everybody's building trade and maybe start like disputes over whether one person should be hoarding all of the iron and so forth um so i've set myself down in a in a desert i'm going to be largely uh doing stuff with copper and more on that later of course but uh i've i've got a, a neat little build style figured out which is kind of ancient inspired and kind of sci-fi inspired it's like a little bit of babylon a little bit of star wars uh, kind of situation and i'm i'm really enjoying working with with copper and sandstone in combination a bit of jungle wood in the palette as well it's it's turning out very nicely so far um outside of that i also launched the hardcore survival guide which is something i've talked about on the show before i decided to do a six month mini series while the minecraft survival guide waits for new caves to arrive in the next half of the update so i started a temporary hardcore series normally i'd be against the idea of doing hardcore for a tutorial series but a lot of people are interested in seeing me play hardcore and since i know the series is going to be temporary anyway i figured why not and the world got off to an incredible start um, I found a flower forest biome that had a lot of really tall hills and I thought, oh, this seems cool. Let me explore. At the base of those hills, exposed to the open air, I found a zombie spawner. <laughs> so nice. It, it was a really, really ideal setup because I, I immediately had access to a zombie spawner that I could farm for XP if I wanted to. There was a village very close by and I spent the first few episodes trading my way up to diamond gear before I even went caving, and I had a Fortune 3 pickaxe by that point that I could go caving with and get as many resources as possible, because like I've said uh, in when we've been talking about like the, the copper, raw copper and raw iron and everything, like Fortune 3 is now going to be the best way of getting hold of tons of resources in early game. So I had a lot of fun uh, doing that. I'm now working on designing a tidy little hobbit hole, which should turn up in an episode soon. 
um, which is going to be like my home in the village. And I've been drafting some stuff in creative using moss and azalea leaves, which are so good for making like the grass roof on a, a kind of a hobbit hole or like an earth ship kind of build. I think they're mm-hmm. so much better than grass blocks or honestly if you're used to using optifine connected grass where it kind of folds over the side of the block basically the same thing so really excited about being able to build a, a hobbit hole in that kind of style um last but not least my patreon server has also relaunched um we used to run it on paper mc uh which is a fork of spigot uh another sort of server jar which is designed to optimize certain things about the code making it easier for multiplayer stuff uh paper hadn't released for 1.17 yet but spigot had so i i went to went to that compiled a new uh server jar and it runs really well as far as i can tell uh i've heard a few people having uh performance issues on a vanilla 1.17 server but we had 15 people online at once for the launch of this all exploring in different directions um because yeah they 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 work fast (laughs) it turns out they've already posted screenshots from the end and talked about portal locations on the nether roof like they are they are rushing the the uh the early game but um yeah i think it's it's apparently performed very well as far as reports go from the server so far nobody's had any significant issues so crossing my fingers that that continues nice it's it's always interesting to see the different approach you know to uh to multiplayer servers when minecraft updates right like i mean you've got i i don't believe infinity cove is going to reset so there's going to be two servers on my end that are longtime servers and will be uh updated but not reset you know and then you've got, you know, your stuff where you've got three, you know, essentially new worlds under mm-hmm. your umbrella that have been that have been updated. And uh, we're using fabric on both of them. And uh, I, I don't I've not explored. Um, I, I've read into and, and saw them available with spigot and uh, and paper before. But uh, I, I only I think I just went to fabric because of the performance specifically for my computer and maybe for other computers out there do you find like do you find that like spigot and paper were engineered to have it be an easier experience for the client and do you like do do patrons or people that want to play on a paper mc or a spigot server do you have to have a special launcher or does that just your vanilla launcher that Um, connects to the server the the control panel is pretty much the same thing you just rename it and and point the uh the control panel towards the server jar file and that's basically it it does the rest from there um i found Mm. paper easier to use than spigot because paper you basically just download the jar file and rename it if you want to whereas with spigot you basically had to compile it yourself which they have some very good Uh. instructions on how to do but i basically had to download like a terminal prompt program that was going to let me run this java file from a terminal and so yeah it's not not something that i'd done before but you know as someone who is moderately tech savvy it was fairly easy to walk through their instructions and get it done and ultimately meant that i could have a server that was running on time so yeah i'm, I'm happy that i took the time to do that so i haven't had any experience with fabric servers so i'm not necessarily able to speak to what the differences are between them but yeah as far as i can tell no complaints so far the main thing for using spigot was because it's compatible with a lot of plugins a lot of plugins that have been made for server security in particular will run on spigot but won't run on fabric there may be fabric versions and there may be other compatibility things that you can do to get them to run but yeah in my experience core protect which is the one that we use 
so that you can log player activity, find out if anyone's been griefing, builds, roll back any griefing that's happened, and and track that kind of stuff. Uh, does not run on fabric, so we needed spigot or paper in order to to have that for player security. Right. right. Uh, fabric works as far as the setup goes. It sounds like very similar to the way paper does. You just you download the server jar file and then the specific jar file for that version of Minecraft. And then you just rename one of those files to a custom jar file. And then you upload the, those to the specific folders of your hosting provider. Uh, my hosting provider happens to have like a frequently asked question, like answer page of like, this is how you set up fabric. So like, I just go to that page yeah, every uh -huh. time I do this uh -huh. and follow the step-by-step -step instructions. It's really simple. The more complicated thing for me was trimming all the chunks and taking care of all that and making sure the player data was up to date. And cause that never, that's something I always find very odd is that when you download a world backup, the player data comes down, but it's stored in a different place on a multiplayer server than it is stored on your local Right. Um, yeah. Client. Mm -hmm. And so when you upload that revised world, because obviously you want to open up your your tr chunk trimming stuff in your Minecraft on your desktop and see like, did it work? Like, do I have big skyscraper chunk borders or like, am I doing okay? And when you do that, you have a different, you know, you have a different um, player save. Like, so like I had a different inventory I spawned in the Nether when I opened it up in my <laughs> yeah in, in my in my single player. And then when you upload that up to the server, it's also incorrect until you take the player data from the download and upload it again i don't know why that is but like, i mean i got it working but it's it's tedious like it's it's not very intuitive and like you said unless you're tech savvy like it's one of those things like you'd have to you're going to be googling why do i have a different inventory if if you thought the only thing you had to do was download the world change the region file and upload it again yeah you've got to mess around with like player id numbers at that point to find out which player data is yeah. yours especially if you have a large cast on that server and yeah people have like yeah. come and gone that's uh yeah it's well a bit of a yeah hassle. i mean the nice thing there is that i had the backup right so the backup is a copy and i can go and get the player data that i had downloaded the server was shut down the entire time that i was doing this so like it did, like no one could update anything so you all just they all just logged in with the same information that they had when they logged out so that that worked out okay but again i've got a server roster of like six regular players uh -huh, so it's pretty yeah. easy to just type a discord to be just like hey everybody server's going to be down for two days just fyi yeah <laughs> you know so mm -hmm. wasn't a huge deal um, but, uh, but I, you know, again, pretty seamless as far as, as far as things go, it looks like things worked, uh, the way that they should. Well, uh, let's move on from the technical talk onto the news because the news is of course that the caves and cliffs update is here. There is an overview article and trailer. The trailer I believe was also posted to, uh, YouTube, but on minecraft.net, you will find a quick overview if you wanted to just get the official announcement of Caves and Cliffs Part 1 having been released. They update, uh, they launched the update simultaneously for Bedrock Edition and Java Edition, so that's Bedrock on Xbox Series X, S and Xbox One, PlayStation 5 and PS4, Nintendo Switch, iOS, Android, Windows 10, and then Java Edition for Windows, macOS, and Linux. There is also a Minecraft.net article that says Caves and Cliffs Part 1 out today on Java with a full list of features in a similar format to how they break down the snapshots for uh, the sort of weekly snapshot articles. So if you're at all confused about which features are in this update and which aren't, 
recommended reading definitely um we also recommend sliced limes videos which i believe we recommended last week but um honestly sliced lime makes really good explanatory content for some of the updates that are coming forward and as the tech lead for the team he should know um so the minecraft wiki article on java 1.17 also has a list of the features as a kind of breakdown but sliced lime has uploaded a what's new in minecraft 1.17 caves and cliffs update part one and a what's new in the caves and cliffs preview data pack for minecraft 1.17 which presumably is just talking about here are the features that are being reserved for 1.18 so you can find both of those on youtube we will link those in our show notes this week uh yeah go check out sliced limes videos if you're at all confused about where to find any of the features in this update or the next one Optifine pre-releases for 1.17 have been percolating around the internet. You can find Optifine pre-release 16, which was released on Tuesday, June 8th. Currently available, our versions are pre-20 and pre-21. Most features running in a stable fashion, but shaders are still not supported. Fabric has been released for 1.17 as well, along with mods like Lithium and Optifabric. Lithium, of course, by Jelly Squid and Optifabric by Choco head. Uh, Optifabric is what allows you to use Optifine within the Fabric framework. Uh, not yet updated for 117, however, are Phosphor, another Fabric um, performance mod by Jelly Squid, and Sodium by Jelly Squid. Sodium, I don't know if it's going to get an update. I seem to think that that was a, an abandoned project or it's been handed off to other people. There have not been an update on uh, sodium since September of 2020. So I'm not sure if it's going to get an update for 117 at all. But the other ones have had recent updates in the last few months. And lithium is the the big one. It's I think it's got to do with performance ticks and, and that kind of thing on the server. Uh, we run it on the Citadel uh, and find that it helps out quite a bit. Yeah, I think phosphor is the one that deals with lighting and then lithium is Correct. more like, yeah, the sort of the, the mechanics and AI and that kind of stuff optimized. But yeah, um, Honestly, it's so cool to see the modded community working on stuff in snapshots so that they can have an early release for the next big update. Like, obviously, ev everyone was expecting a wait for mods like Optifine, but the, the Optifine developer has really pulled out all the stops to get at least a pre-release out and a very functional pre-release too. So I've been playing with Optifine since the day of launch. Um, which was, yeah, Tuesday, June 8th was when Caves and Cliffs came out. Optifine was available in a pre-release later that day. And I suppose it goes with the territory of not much having changed about the world. I expect it might be a longer wait for 1.18, although the fact that Mojang is releasing data packs for 1.18 content consistently is potentially going to give modders a chance to get in on the ground floor and start figuring out what the technical issues are going to be and how they can adapt their mods to uh to that challenge so yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what the the landscape looks like but in the meantime anybody who relies on those mods for performance or anybody who just prefers to run optifine just so they can have extra texture pack stuff going on behind the scenes or even dynamic lighting which i think works with the glow squid and glow ink and everything like that that should all be part of optifine and we're just waiting on shaders for the extra visual boost that's what uh, I've been experiencing so far with Fabric is that uh, Fabric was coming out with snapshot versions, which was helpful. Uh, but uh, going into the weekend, I updated as much as I could. And then I, I didn't want to get too under the hood and start messing with stuff. Like every day you had a stream day, I didn't want to start, you know, I didn't want to start messing with things because I knew it worked and I knew I had a stream in an hour. So like I didn't want to start tinkering. 
but I was informed um, from Alistair, one of my mods, and a couple of other people in the chat that some of the mods that we use on the Citadel were already being updated like on Saturday, Sunday sort of thing. So I, I this week I'll have to look again and we might have closer to the full range of, of mods or data packs that we were running on the Citadel uh, just before, you know, just a couple weeks ago, uh, only a week or so into um 117 which is fantastic and i think you know like you said tip of the hat to the mods and i mean to to kick off our news discussion congrats to the devs like this is um this is a big release and obviously we've heard a lot about how much work it is and the complicated nature in which the split had to occur uh it's a lot to juggle and uh i just want to tip my hat and say like hey that's a lot of work going into a big summer release and i hope that uh i hope they're taking a celebratory like barbecue weekend or something yeah uh to say hey caves and cliffs part one it's out you know you did it looking forward to talking to king b dogs more about that because uh yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see how the team takes the time to kind of reflect on the split and and you know move forward into 118 and what that means for the future of development with uh with with future versions but yeah i i think it it turned out really well all things considered um the the update is very solid uh we didn't hear a huge amount about performance issues immediately there didn't need to be a dot one release the following day you know i i think everyone was pretty happy with the launch of it and you know some people i think maybe had a couple of lag issues if they were updating old worlds um and for that i recommend uh using the optimize option from the uh, world select screen if you're if you're running in a single player world and you experience that lag because that flushes out the lighting cache and a few other things uh and i think that was introduced back in 1.13 because of like yeah a couple of water update issues and things like that but i think that's that's a feature that is kind of handy to have around um there's yeah there's there's a a very fun very cute trailer on youtube and on the minecraft.net article um i yeah, I, I I think a lot of people are still a little bit confused about where to get some of the features, which is why we're pointing you to the sliced lime video every week, because uh, I've seen people asking, you know, after I started playing around with Moss and Azalea in my videos, they were like, oh, cool, when did you find a lush cave? I didn't see that in the video. And I was like, no, lush lush cave's not a thing yet. Mine, mineshaft chests and, and, and shipwrecks. Um, there's, there's people in my streams asking whether the warden is in this update, that kind of thing. And so... I think a lot of people have maybe seen the Minecraft live announcements but didn't stay in touch with development news since then, which I should add is not a failure of communication on Mojang's part. I think they have done a very good job of communicating what's in this update and the split, and a lot of it is just a matter of how you reach people and just engagement with these big events that tell you what the next update is going to be and then how many people you can get to watch a YouTube video or read a Minecraft.net article when circumstances change later yeah i've seen some confusion out there as well um both among just twitch chat members um people that are either new to the minecraft scene or new to my streams uh i've seen some content creators out there as well being a little bit confused about stuff and i think that could come from people that uh avoid spoilers like they kind of want to go to part of their process you know as a creator is going into something cold without having you know read up a lot on it yeah and i you know i do forget sometimes that we're we're steeped in minecraft news every <laughs> single week yeah. right uh-huh. and so by the time the release comes like one of the prices we pay is that like you know hey yay the caves and cliffs part one is here and i'm just like cool i've been eat sleeping and breathing this for the last six months <laughs> so like i, I kind of know what's going on it's not there's no big surprises really 
which is fine. Like I, I'm happy. To, I'm ha- happy to pay that little that little tax, you know. Um, but I think that there's going to be some initial disappointment from uh, I'll say a chunk of the player base that may or may not be uh, either on top of things or maybe just not paying attention or just uh, seeing content and not understanding where that content is coming from. Uh, you know, whether it's a someone showing off a lush cave build that they've done or whether it's, you know, a snapshot video from months ago. Like if you don't pay attention to when the release date was on something you see on YouTube, like you could be viewing something very, very different. Right. Yeah. And there's going to um, be lots of people having made videos about the warden and so forth when right. the announcement came out and a couple of people like trying to mock up a mod of what the warden behaves like based on the trailers. And then people go back and find those videos don't read the date on it and think oh okay that's still going to be a feature that comes out because i watched that video today and it's like no that video was made three months ago everything has changed since then yes yeah not to mention you've got some things like um is it uh bundles uh bundles and blossoms skulk sensors yeah skulk sensors there's a few things that are in the game that you can get either with a give command or uh in the creative menu and again depending on what data pack someone might have running on a brand new 117 world you might be like wait a minute how do you have a spore blossom you know and so you uh, and i'm going to have to be careful of this because i'm going to have i want to add a a couple things a couple data packs into the citadel and i i know it's going to be good for gameplay, but it means I'm going to be answering the same question over and over again. It's like, no, this is not part of the release. I've made a you know custom yeah. data pack in order to, to do this. Um, all the more reason, though, to uh, share those great videos on the Minecraft YouTube channel from Agnes and the development team about the split, the details and reasoning behind it. Um, there, it's a fantastic resource. You get a very clear and concise, you know, this is this, this is that, this is not happening now, this is happening later. And here's the reasons why. And they're good reasons why. And you can tell that they're they're coming from a place where they're looking out for players. Like it just, it, it seems very much like a balanced decision. So uh, again, if you have any confusion, check out the Minecraft YouTube channel. They're short videos too. They're like, you know, 10 minutes or less most of the time. Yeah. Um, and, and hey, I mean, if you really want to stay up on things, you could sort of maybe tell people that there's a podcast that stays up on Minecraft <laughs> News every week. Tell them to listen to this, too, <laughs> and it'll help keep everybody informed, really. Absolutely. Um, yeah, on the on the subject of bundles, I've actually added bundles as a rabbit hide crafting recipe. There, there are two nice. um, vanilla tweaks data packs that add the recipe back in, one that uses rabbit hide and one that just uses leather. Um, I guess for people who don't want to kill rabbits, which is perfectly acceptable, as we've discussed in previous shows. But yeah, I, I added that to my patron server, not by anybody's particular demand, but I I am personally of the opinion that I would really like bundles to be available, and it makes sense to leave them out of my videos from a content creation perspective, because then my entire comments section becomes about, wait a minute, how do you have bundles? And yeah. I, I'm just answering that question every week. But I think it's it's going to be fun for people to have the option to play around with them in the meantime if they feel like doing that. And all of the stuff that they initially said about bundles, like it's really cool to be able to throw a stack of items in there and then give it to somebody as a gift, I, I think is a really fun dynamic to have on a multiplayer server. So I, right. I, I put that in without even you know thinking about it. I just kind of went, yep, yeah, no, that's something we can add along with. Uh, a bunch of the other, you know, double shulker shells and stuff like that, the usual suspects as far as server data packs goes. The one thing we didn't add, by the way, uh, is the multiplayer sleep data pack because that's now a game rule. Um, There's the one feature I'll pull out here because I didn't include it later on. Um, The 
player's sleeping percentage game rule. If you set that to zero or a negative number, it basically means that only one player has to sleep to skip the night, and you can set a percentage. On the Empire's SMP, we have a 20% sleep game rule. So if there are six people online and only one person sleeping, night doesn't get skipped until somebody else gets in a bed. And I think that's a really neat way of doing it. Having it be adjustable in that way as a kind of configuration option is a really smart move. And I think that lends to a, a different dynamic on servers like that. Yeah, actually, I got called out by that on one of my streams. Uh, uh, Anna Marie had logged in and done a little bit of puttering around, and I didn't realize she was online. And I went to go sleep. I was like, why, why am I not sleeping the night? And then I noticed the commands and stuff coming up at the bottom. I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's right. I didn't tweak that. Like, So the game feature was still uh, turned on, and the data pack was also installed. And it turns out the data pack doesn't overwrite the game feature. Mm -hmm. So I might just eliminate the data pack i don't know if i necessarily need it anymore i'd have to look and see it was supposed to be updated for 117 but i don't know what they changed oh see this is one of those things that the data pack could just be it's just a version number that they changed yeah you know in in the pack meta file uh and hasn't actually changed the way that the data pack works so i'll have to go in and check that that command out again there's just a lot of features that I don't want to I don't want to downplay their importance, but they're not at the top of the social media list like moss and copper and glow squids and like goats and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, the, the quality of life features don't tend to make headlines, right? Yeah, exactly. So you forget about them and you're just like, oh, right, that's the thing that I can change in the game now without having to download a data pack, which is great. And I'll have to discuss it with the other members of the Citadel to see whether we want to go to just one person can skip the night or if we want to have it be if there's three or four people on if like two people have to have to coordinate and actually talk to one another although we're pretty friendly anyway yeah let's uh let's move on to emails because naturally we were going to get some emails about the caves and cliffs update we got a couple in i think mostly about copper actually which is mm -hmm. my specialist subject so uh joel how about you read this first one this first email comes from ace2000 and if you'd like to email the show just like them you can send that email to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com that's the only email we check for chunk mail hello johnny and joel i really like listening to the podcast and hope you're enjoying 117 i was watching episode three of johnny's hardcore series and a question came to my mind about copper oxidation we can wax copper at any stage we want or we can let it fully oxidize then remove oxidation with an axe and wax it to the desired state. What do you think is the better way to get oxidized copper? Waxing copper at different stages or letting it fully oxidize and then remove oxidation? Thanks for such a wonderful show. Keep chasing the screaming goat, Ace2000. <laughs> I think keep chasing the screaming goat is Minecraft's equivalent of shine on you crazy diamond, except that there are diamonds in Minecraft as well. Um, <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, so I've I've had ample chance to play around with copper so far, and this is something that came out, I think, as a result of Sliced Lime's video, although some of the technical community might have done a bit of code diving and figured this out as well around the same time, is that copper ages fastest when it is not in close proximity to other blocks of copper of a similar age. So if you have a bunch of like shiny brand new blocks of copper you put them all down in an area like you know touching each other basically then they're not going to age as fast and that's quite good for if you want to build out an area and then leave it to age naturally over time because it's going to take a lot longer if you want to age copper faster you can space it apart by four blocks i think it checks a nine by nine 
area centered on the copper block and i expect a bit vertically i'm not sure if the vertical range is nine or or what but um i think yeah if you if you put it four blocks apart basically that puts the next block outside of the radius of any other copper blocks and that's how you age large amounts of copper is by placing it effectively spaced out in a giant field um and so yeah you can actually get to that final oxidation stage very quickly if you know what you're doing and that's what i find very strange in that i get from a i guess immersion standpoint that the copper being next to each other is going to age slowly and give you a better kind of like um granular effect of it happening randomly you know over time but for me, when you just want to have the option of like, I don't know, I want to control which oxidation state goes in this particular block because I'm that kind of a builder. Like I, this space needs, you know, oxidation level four, whatever that happens to be, or two or three. And uh, so for me, uh, after thinking I was going to have to babysit uh, copper, uh, my thoughts land squarely on setting up a field of copper and just letting it go full oxidation. Just mm-hmm. let it rip all the way to the end and then go back with an axe and some honeycomb, and then strip and wax to the desired texture. Now, I haven't tried this, but it just kind of dawned on me that you might be able to put honeycomb in the offhand and have your axe in the main hand, and you might be able to just like, you know, right-click, left-click your your way to the desired states, and then they're all going to stay where you put them. So it could be just a matter of putting out a big field of, of copper. Now, the patience part here is that it's going to be easier to do the waxing and the stripping of oxidation if all of your stuff is next to one another, as opposed to having four blocks in between. So I would imagine that my process is going to be laying out a big field of copper. Yes, it's going to take longer because they're going to be touching one another, but I am absolutely going to be able to go back and at a much later date and easily get like you know a stack of each block at the desired state of what I want to use it in. Yeah. No, I, I entirely agree. Uh, oxidize, scrape the layers off, then wax is just like the optimal workflow for me because you don't need to hang around the copper and wait for it to change. You don't need to like babysit it in that sense. You can just leave it and go and do whatever other work you've got to do around your base. Like I've been leaving my copper out to dry in the sun, <laughs> effectively. Um, I've been just laying down a field of it outside of the, the builds I've been doing in this desert. And then while I build up my honeycomb farm so that i can have all of the wax that i want or i'm working on you know caving in the area or something if i'm nearby that copper near enough for random tick to process then it ages and eventually i come back to a field of completely blue copper but if i want it to be just the exposed copper two stages before that just right click with an axe a couple of times and then add honeycomb and that's it and it's it's a i think a better option than building it in place and then just waiting for everything to age with all of that copper next to each other. I also think it's a better option than just kind of hanging around in the field waiting for stuff to be waxable at certain ages. And I think when I provide it to my server mates, because the idea is to kind of sell it to people, I I expect I'll probably either sell it as the oxidized version and say, hey, you can scrape and wax this yourself, or I'll scrape and wax the entire thing myself so that I can have like different categories of the block to sell and then sell it to them pre-waxed in different ages depending on what they want what they've got in mind for their their builds but I think in terms of processing it in the first place then yeah letting it go full turquoise is definitely the way to go I wonder if that's going to end up having a multiplayer server effect where 
the older copper is or or at any oxidation stage is going to be more valuable than just the raw copper block you know like because it could because of the time invested in you know by the person trying to trade or sell that particular block on a server yeah be interesting to see how that dynamic kind of shakes out right i expect copper is going to be quite valuable as well on account of it being fairly difficult to farm because you Mm -hmm. pretty much have to go mining for it um i've had a lot of people ask if i'm going to build a drowned farm and the answer is yes because a drowned farm is a cool thing to build but not for copper because you get about as much copper as you get from you know iron ingots from zombies and in an hour's worth of mining with fortune 3 i can get probably a eight times that so i think it's um yeah it's, it's going to be the grindy block to obtain so i expect people will want to buy it for a price commensurate with the amount of effort that has been put in to obtain it um and i hope so because i'm the one selling it um but yeah, yeah i think it's it's going to be fun to see how people work with it going forward and once again that's going to radically transform in 1.18 when huge veins get added and you can find a ton of copper in one place but then We'll see what the chances are of that happening when the update is finalized. Thanks again for the kind words, Eights2000, and uh, points for a fun sign-off, too. Yes, definitely. Uh, This next email comes in from Taylor M. with the subject of copper, of course, and also resource packs. Dear Joel and Pixel Riffs, now that 1.17 has been out for a week, there are a lot of new ideas for quality of life features, one of which is now a part of the Vanilla Tweaks resource packs. What it does is give waxed copper items a special yellow border, but rather than changing the appearance of placed blocks, it only gives this border to items in the inventory to help you find them easier and tell them apart from copper that's still needs to age or be waxed. I was wondering if you guys think this kind of subtle change should make its way into the base game or not. I really appreciate your senses of humour in the podcast, and I hope you never stop making content on both of your channels. Sincerely, Taylor, who was skewered by a falling stalactite. It seems to be happening more and more frequently lately. I'm worried about, about our listeners. People need to be more aware of their surroundings, right? I mean, goats to your left, stalactites above you. Like, yes, just, here, here yeah. we are stuck in the middle with you. Um, but the, <laughs> uh, the, the stalactite actually almost... Uh, I don't know how much damage they do if they fall from like a, a smaller height. I presume it is not as much. But in my hardcore world, the first dripstone, uh, pointed dripstone that I found, I almost broke a stalactite immediately above my head. I stepped back just in time as it fell because I, you know, had reasonable reflexes at the time. But my immediate thought was like, well, that could have been a fun way to go out in episode one. <laughs> yeah, frustrating to say the least. Especially when you're the one mining it. Like, it doesn't just happen, right? You have to do something to cause it. Yes. Uh, so you tracked down the uh, the Vanilla Tweaks uh, resource pack, right? So you've uh, you've had a quick look at this one. Yeah, actually, uh, Exumavoid, friend of the show, had done a quick video about some of the new things coming to Vanilla Tweaks. And because of how many data packs I use from the Vanilla Tweaks set, uh, which is at vanillatweaks.net for those wondering, uh, you can find the waxed copper item that Taylor was talking about under resource packs and utility. So it's not a data pack, it's just a resource pack. Uh, and uh, in uh, Exumavoid's video, when I saw him demonstrate, I was like, oh yeah, okay, that's really handy. Because again, even in the snapshot worlds, when I was dealing with wax copper and regular copper and trying to figure out which was which, y- you're stuck reading the inventory name of the item. They look identical uh, in your inventory. And uh, I think having something... I mean, you might not be on board with the aesthetic of the uh, bright yellow ring that they put around the the copper block in your your inventory. It certainly makes it easy to spot. Uh, it has more of a 
kind of like an interface thing to it. There could be some more creative, like you could make it look like there's a little bit of wax splashed on the copper block instead of having a giant gold ring around it. Um, but they went for the straightforward, like easy to pick out sort of idea, uh, which is fine. Um, and I, I mean, I think it's useful. I, I imagine that I'll probably be implementing this on, on the Citadel if I start to work with copper and start to get frustrating, especially when you've got waxed versions or unwaxed versions of the various different kinds in your inventory. Um, I think that's going to be a little bit tedious. I often, I find quite a few things. There's uh, deep slate and cobble deep slate look very, very similar. Uh, same thing with, uh, in another update, blackstone and a lot of the blackstone variants. Uh, in the world, you can tell the difference, but in your inventory, it's dark. It's really hard. It's a small graphic. It's hard to see. And having some sort of indicator in your inventory as to what is maybe a different you know version of that block especially when the textures are identical like the waxed copper and unwaxed copper um i think it's a handy handy tweak yeah i would kind of agree um it's it's a thought i've had about waxed copper is that you know it's virtually invisible aside from the name I waxed three blocks of copper when I started my desert build the sort of starter build that I did and I waxed the rest of them you know as I was going like I, I kind of put them out there in the world instead of you know crafting them using the crafting interface and I just right clicked on them with honeycomb as I got it but then you do end up with that situation where with those three blocks I realized they weren't stacking with the rest of my copper and it even you know after shuffling around my inventory a little bit going away and coming back to it I was confused as to why <laughs> why I needed to clear out another inventory space to have these three blocks on me and then I realized yeah they were the ones I'd waxed so it is virtually invisible aside from the name it, that obviously makes sense in builds but has some issues from a gameplay and user experience perspective, which I think this resource pack resolves quite elegantly. Uh, looking at the border, it's, you know, it, it's a golden border, but you don't get the impression that that's what the block looks like once you've worked with it for a while. So, yeah, I, I'm fairly in control of, like, the workflow of, like, when I'm waxing copper and stuff now, so I expect I don't necessarily need it but it might be one of those good things to have for quality of life further down the road once i really start getting fed up with waxed copper being you know a separate block then then i will the the other thing that this makes me think about is i wonder if there could be a difference in waxed copper in the rtx resource packs because those are physically based rendering they've got uh reflectivity and metallic uh properties provided through the the resource pack i think that could be a really interesting challenge for resource pack creators to make the copper block on its own metallic but make the waxed copper block shiny in a different way or like to to, to make mm. it maybe more shiny to give the impression that it has been waxed or maybe even make it more matte if the if the the wax would potentially make it a more uh, take the shine off ever so slightly so it's not so exposed i'm i'm interested to see how that works out and i've not dived back into my rtx world after the 1.17 update but at some point soon i will and i'm looking forward to seeing what resource pack makers have done with copper Oh man, I mean, RTX and Glow Squid stuff is going to be <laughs> ridiculously cool. Unfortunately, with the Glow Squid being an entity, not gonna not gonna light up with RTX. I think the the glow ink and um, you know glowing item frames and stuff might do, but RTX kind of follows that rule of like if it's not inherently a light source, unless the uh, pack creator has done something to 
you know, provide luminosity for specific blocks and reskin them and stuff, then, you know, if you're following the vanilla experience, then you don't get entity-driven lighting. So a block of glowstone uh, you throw on the floor, it's not going to have dynamic lighting in the same way that Optifine does. Right. And so the, right. the glow squid probably won't be as shiny as people hope it will. Yeah, I was thinking more along lines the whole tree of like glow ink and glow yeah. signs and mm-hmm. glow item frames and stuff like that. But that, hopefully that'll be something. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, something that um, I was going to mention about um, the wax copper thing that was frustrating for me. Now, this is the experience of building with it as you make it. So like copper fresh out of the, out of the smelter turned into a block, you're placing it, you're waxing it, and you're trying to build something and you've got both things in your inventory. Pick block. Yeah, if you've got mm-hmm. if you're waxing stuff on the ground, but you don't have waxed blocks in your inventory, when you go to pick block, nothing happens because you don't have any wax blocks in your in your inventory, and it's frustrating. I already get that with the similarity between deep slate and cobbled deep slate. I I mm-hmm. pick block on deep slate all the time, and I'm like, wait, no, I haven't got any of this because I didn't mine it with a silk touch pick. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's uh. it's an interesting one. It's it's something that I think we're all going to get used to as we have more experience with the blocks. But sure. yeah, resource packs like this, very handy. And uh, thank you for writing in about that one because I would have probably passed it by otherwise. I think it's time, though, to get into our first impressions of Caves and Cliffs Part 1. We've kind of touched on a couple of things already, but now we've had a chance to really get in there and play for about a week now. The update came out a day after last week's show when we did the wrap-up of 1.16. So how has 1.17 been treating you so far? Uh, I can't complain. You know, like, I I don't want to rush out and get everything and check all the boxes in, like, one or two streams, right? So... Um, while I do feel there is a bit of a grind to get some of the blocks, um, once you have them, I feel like there's this balance on the other side of like, for example, to unlock Moss, it took us four to five shipwrecks, which basically meant flying around the entire perimeter of the medieval area, Uh looking for shipwrecks and constantly being like, nope, not this one. All right. (laughs) Hey, look, there's a bunch of really cool stuff. Like here's like a treasure map and like diamonds. And I'm going through this like, don't care, don't care, don't care. I'm off to the junk. Give me the junk, please. (laughs) I want the moss. Anyway, so after four or five shipwrecks, I did find some moss blocks. I think I got three. Uh, and then I went back to Dartmouth Meadows just because that's close to where everybody hangs their hat. I went down into the mines where there's nothing where no one cares about what happens down there. Uh, and I made a temporary like nine by nine temp- like moss farm with a, a dispenser. And I was trying to figure out how it all worked and what the hangups are going to be because I want to make an automatic uh, moss and bone meal farm right. something that self-sustains yeah uh, if you haven't watched the El Mango videos like he's he's making them massive I, I just I want one segment he's got like eight segments or something bananas um, but it's really cool it's self-sustaining because you can use lava to make stone and make a piston tape and then when you move the tape the moss blocks get automatically broken and stuck on the top of it and then water washes them away like it's really really slick but even just to go and manually and i say manually i wasn't using bone meal on the moss i was actually using a redstone lever and flicking a switch so that we could all see from a a a farther back position what was actually happening on the ground uh, in the video and uh just using a hoe a diamond hoe that i had to mine up the moss blocks replace them with stone and do it again three to four minutes three to four stacks of moss blocks Mm -hmm. like it was it really did not take very long i shouldn't say three to four minutes it might have been closer to 10 but still very easy to do and in the process, I got moss blocks, I got moss carpet, I got azalea and flowering azalea bushes, uh, and some bunch of seeds and stuff that I didn't need. But really, you're able to get yourself going quite quickly to the point where you probably are going to be able to grow 
all the things you need from just about 10 minutes with some bone meal and your new moss blocks, which I thought was great. Um, the one thing that I found tricky with using the redstone was that I thought you had to bone meal a moss block on the floor, but if you moss, bone meal a moss block hovering above the floor, it will spread up to five blocks, I think, um, above it. So you can have your moss block hovering above the ground. But the weird thing is like any of your contraption that's blocking sky access means that those stone blocks won't turn into moss. So it's a little strange in that way. Um, the other thing is that the moss block that you're bone mealing, it can have moss carpet, grass, azalea saplings grow on top of it. And when that happens, it won't then spread anymore. It has to have an air block immediately above it. And I don't remember from Il Mango's video how they solved that. I think they were powering it by dropping um, an observer down and it, the, the observer would also break what whatever like vegetation block was on top of yeah. the moss block. Um, but for me, I was just flicking a lever. And so every once in a while, I was like, I would flick it and nothing would happen. And sure enough, I'd have to look up and there'd be like this little sliver of moss carpet on top of the mm -hmm. moss block I was using. It's quite difficult to detect the moss carpet. It's like, it, yeah. it, it'll, it'll fool you. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's a little bit more obvious if there's a piece of grass or a um, sapling or something on it. So, um, but it was good. I mean, I, I, you know, I couldn't resist tossing some moss blocks along the wooded path, walking back to the medieval area next to some buildings. Uh, it it goes better in plains biomes. It actually looks very close to grass mm -hmm. in plains biomes. It just kind of gives it like a little bit more yellow. Like it has a nice kind of touch to it, a little bit of variation. Uh, I do play with Optifine, so I do have grass sides. So when it's next to those, you, you're really going to be able to do some pretty, pretty uh, landscaping with this. Uh, doesn't go super well in like a taiga biome. Um, but it doesn't look off either if you've already got like a mossy area, like you've got mossy stone or if you've got concrete, green concrete powder next to it, it adds just like another degree of, of, uh, color and, and, you know, kind of like a, a fuzziness to a, a, an area like that. And unlike green concrete powder, of course, moss block isn't affected by gravity. So I'm looking forward to building with it. Yeah, it's, it's a really nice block. All, all things considered, it's, it's a, a, a very neat uh implementation of something like this and as somebody who is building in a desert moss is the star of the show for me um like i've seen a few of my uh server mates on empires also building in biomes that have uh a, a less saturated green grass or like you know they're building in mountains where the grass is kind of like a tiger it's like cold grass it's that sort of uh minty uh sort of spearmint color i suppose and it's um yeah, it's it's really good to be able to have an organic looking block like moss that's able to grow stuff on it. Like it's you can't plant flowers on green concrete powder, you know? So I think it's it's really refreshing to have something like moss that you can do all of that organic stuff with, but is a six sided texture, is the same colour in every biome, and it just fits really, really well. Um I'm doing a bit of terraforming with it in the desert so far, mostly kind of figuring out paths, but later I want to make the entire area around this river like more fertile land where big trees are growing and things and i think there's going to be a lot of moss in that area for sure um i i do find some of the mechanics of like if there is grass on an adjacent like grass you know growing on an adjacent grass block and it not converting that stuff is a little bit uh tricky to work out but then if you're converting stone into moss blocks in the first place then they're uh they're very very fun to work with um 
I I can see it feeling yeah a little bit underwhelming if you've used better grass and you're like you know you're not you're not excited about it being a six sided uh, block but I think like you said it's going to fit so well into texturing grassland areas if you want to make it a little bit more of a a kind of aesthetic thing with knife of detail then you're going to have a, a great time with it and it also once you found a moss block provides instant access to azalea which is similar for me because you know the azalea leaves don't change color in different biomes either they have the flowering variant of the leaves which is such a nice change for from just the green basic leaves that we have for the rest of the uh the kind of leaf family of blocks the jungle leaves were the only ones that really looked like they had anything else different going on color-wise within the texture but flowering azalea leaves are just gorgeous to put in builds and i threw a bunch of those on the ceiling of my honeycomb farm to give it a kind of almost like greenhouse hothouse kind of feel to it and i was really happy with the effect i think those went together really well so with the azalea bushes do they have a different leaf pattern than all the other leaves yes i think then, so say, yeah they're the, not just oak right like, yeah they no, have the, a different... the texture is very different yeah and honestly I've, I've been playing on on empires for a while and fwip's uh resource pack is on there for foliage so he's got like a little bit more bushy kind of elements of oh right of those yeah. so so i've had a less of a chance to look at the texture of those uh but i just mm. got moss in my hardcore world so i'm potentially going to be working with those in nice. like default vanilla looking textures and i'll i'll report back maybe on that but i'm fairly certain it is a different pattern the color is like a, a kind of more lime green than some of the other leaves are as well rather than like a, mm -hmm. a deeper green or like the pale green that uh, that birch provides so i think it fits really nicely into the palette of leaf blocks we have to work with already and does the flowering azalea change color in the desert or does that stay like the moss block like it stays it's, it's all the same color it stays the same in every uh, biome nice. i didn't want to get ahead of ourselves earlier but i love what you've been doing in the desert in in the Thanks. um empire stuff like uh, the combination of the like the birch and and stripped oak uh stripped birch and stripped oak plus the sandstone and then you have these deep greens like running over the builds or around the bottoms of them and uh, it's really, it's. I think it's going to be a really, really cool build when it's all done. Kind of like those desert oasis towns you see yeah. in like fantasy, you know, fantasy worlds and stuff. And um, to to go back to what you were saying too uh, about um, the connected grass texture with Optifine, uh, there's a problem with that in that in order for the side of the block to appear as grass, the one below that side has to be grass as well it has to have grass so like wanna... on the diagonal right so on the top yeah. yeah so like so it has to make like that l shape in order for it to connect so if you have something there that's not grass like a grass like a path block or a concrete powder block or whatever uh or if you want your cliff to be two blocks steep not one yeah then you get dirt block you mm -hmm. get this you get the traditional minecraft side so with the moss block you can just go to all these places where you're like dirt side and just replace it yeah uh -huh. <laughs> and there's gonna be a lot of that happening i think in my world the uh the last thing to touch on with azalea while we're on this is uh mm. rooted dirt because i don't see many people finding this a desirable block but as somebody who's very detail oriented and when i built the desert building creative i kind of designed it with rooted dirt coming up around the azalea leaves at the bottom it is time consuming to farm because you have to grow an azalea tree on dirt and then it produces it turns the dirt block that it grows on into rooted dirt 
and that you just get one block. Um, it's oh, gonna wow. it's gonna be a lot nicer to find when lush caves generate and azalea trees are above those because they have really deep roots. The roots sort of go down as far as cave level, and that's where you're gonna find the hanging roots as well. But um, those are obviously going to be a little bit rare, and I sort of drew the comparison that it's going to be like finding a huge vein of ore, but for aesthetic dirt, you know? <laughs> it's going to be like you hit the jackpot all at once, you find like a stack or two of rooted dirt underground, and uh, you can at least run away with that instead of having to plant a field of azalea and then grow it just to get like half a stack. I'm surprised that doesn't work a little bit more like how uh, a double spruce tree, a two by two spruce tree will turn grass around it into puzzle. I don't think it has to be that kind of a radius. I actually kind of find how much puzzle you get a little bit disruptive most of the time. Mm -hmm. But but if it was just like a like a four block or a three block radius around the one tree, that would be a little bit more useful, I think, than just um one block but again maybe that's in preparation of the changes coming later on yeah i i find that and and this is jumping ahead a little bit in my thought process here but i'm finding that the nature of the caves and cliffs update split means that so many blocks have been added to the game in this update which is great but they've been added in ways which are challenging or just grindy to obtain like have you got mm -hmm. hold of glowberries yet <laughs> No, I haven't found an abandoned mine shaft. I do know where there is one, but it is directly under my town. So right. I couldn't change those chunks. Yeah. So I'm hoping that's why I wanted to go look for a ravine uh, and see, because a ravine, you generally have a better chance of intersecting a, a abandoned mine shaft. Um, yeah. I'm hoping to find a cave or system or something to just kind of like go through, eventually find an abandoned mine shaft and hopefully get some glowberries. Yeah, I've been finding them in mineshaft chests maybe like 30 to 40% of the time, and I've explored a couple now. Um, obviously, they're quite easy to farm once you get them. You just place mm -hmm. it so it turns into a cave vine. You hold down right-click with some bone meal, and it just drops glowberries the same way that farming sweet berries from bushes works. Um, I've been more motivated to explore abandoned mineshafts now that there's a chance of finding glowberries. I feel like because there is new loot added to those tables, I'm more excited about finding them, even after I've found the, the, the first glowberry that can start my entire, you know, glowberry farm. I, I like finding new stuff in old structures. It lends a bit more life to it, gives people, you know, more of a chance to get excited about it and adds a risk reward to the abandoned mineshaft which normally you're not going to find anything unique in there unless you are hurting for melon and pumpkin seeds i guess um on the subject of other stuff that's kind of challenging or grindy to obtain though you've found out about this uh, pointed dripstone is very time consuming to farm right now and i can expect people will be breathing a sigh of relief when they can walk into a cave full of it uh, in 1.18 and just just mash it down from the walls with a trident right that's the thing is that I, I'm i not sure how I'm going to feel about a giant cave because a giant cave of dripstone is going to look really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to necessarily like I even had uh, like I had to have that mental break of like what it's whatever. It's a mining ravine, Joel. You're you're meant <laughs> yeah. to be here to destroy it. Like uh -huh. that's the process we're going through because I felt bad because it looked really cool because uh, we found this ravine. I, I took your advice and, and went and decided to make this mine nearby the town and lucked out, found a ravine, explored the edges of the ravine, and ended up seeing some dripstone at the top of it, which is a really cool spot for it, right? Because you look up and you see these large uh, stalactites hanging from the ceiling and a big deposit of, of dripstone. So we, you know, we used our scaffolding to get up there and get it and felt bad kind of ripping this small 
cool looking feature out of the ravine that I'm probably gonna be spending a lot of time in. So once it's all lit up, it's actually, it would actually would be cool to do it. Now I could put it back, uh, which is fine. Um, but one of the things that I did was I brought it back. I, I made sure that we had enough dripstone, pointed dripstone to start a farm. Cause you need that. You can't just use the blocks. You have to bring back the pointed dripstone as well. Uh, so I brought back like a stack or so of blocks and at least I want to say 16 or more uh, of the pointed dripstone. And uh, I erected a temporary dripstone, just a manual dripstone farm in the same way that you'd manually farm vines or mm-hmm. glowberries or any kind of stuff. Um, I tried to make it look decent. Like I created like a you know brownstone pillar thing. And we explored some blocks on stream that might look good with the dripstone. Dripstone is challenging in that it has a very horizontal streaky texture. And it's a very specific kind of like grayish purple like it has a very odd kind of hue to it Mm -hmm. um the best blocks we found to go with it are stripped dark oak uh and uh, gray terracotta gray terracotta looks almost identical it just doesn't have as much of a texture to it but it's the same color range same hue um so i just kind of made this it looks kind of like a gallows it's very morbid looking Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh hanging outside the, the town but the idea was gypsum i believe you have to be it has to be loaded for it to to grow uh, and so I don't have any observers. I don't have any pistons like I did in my, in my, um, snapshot world. Although I do intend to build that. I just don't know where I'm going to build it because I don't want like an automatic machine outside of my medieval town. Yeah. So aside from burying it in a basement somewhere, which is again, not the greatest thing. Uh, I, I think I might try to have some manual farms for now to see if it's even something that I want to build with. I think that's the thing is that I'm, I'm trying to build up uh, uh, enough of it that I can try to build with it and then decide, am I going to use this to the point where I'm going to want a lot of it? Or is it just like, no, a couple of manual farms is going to be fine for the stack or two of accent blocks that I might want. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, there's some people who want to build like roofs with it and are trying to get hold of a lot of it pretty fast. I know Fwip was saying mm-hmm. he wanted to build more kind of like pointed roofs uh, using it and using the gradient sort of, uh, the sort of slope that it can create, but man, that's that's going to be a grind if you if you're thinking of using that for your starter house. Um, but yeah, tune into future episodes of the Spawn Chunks to get an update on Joel's uh, dripstone guillotine. I guess um, <laughs> it really does look like a guillotine. Yeah, it's a little kind, bit. It's really kind of off-putting, <laughs> and has the functionality of a guillotine as well. So I mean, you know, if 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 any roleplay servers want to take things a little bit seriously, then there you go. Um, so yeah, so far I've really been focused on copper in both my worlds. Um, I've done more of it on Empires than I have in the Hardcore world because I'm probably going to use the Hardcore world to focus on the features that my server mates on Empires have claimed for their Empires, like Amethyst Geodes and Goats. Um, The Geodes I've found so far have been varying sizes. I've taken a couple of them apart for Calcite and, and Smooth Basalt before I've been to the Nether to get more Basalt going, and I I obviously really enjoy finding them they, they've been a really solid feature from day one i think they're just a really nice implementation of that as a an experience and basically everybody i've talked to everybody i've hung out with has said it's just so fun walking into a geode hearing the different noises hearing the chimes as you break the blocks of amethyst around you or the crystals and i think as far as the whole update goes geodes feel like the only feature which have really been implemented in their final form um except Mm -hmm. maybe for copper but then copper still has to go through the redistribution of ores and appear in huge veins um goats and some of the other mobs like they appear in their 
respective spawning areas, but they don't have the full context of new mountains and deep caves, and we are fairly certain that they are still planning on shuffling around axolotl and glow squid spawning once caves below y0 are a thing in 1.18 so again it kind of feels like the nature of the update split has changed the context in which we're looking at some of this stuff geodes though are a fully formed feature they're going to generate all over the underground regardless of of why level uh, like dungeons do and so i think walking into a geode feels like the most complete experience of the caves and cliffs update that we have so far i haven't found any yet on the citadel but i haven't gone specifically looking i'm kind of hoping to find one more naturally because calcite is something i really want to try to play around with uh even though it's just a single full block but i did in the same way that i use bone block and diorite and um what's another one that i use i guess quartz uh around um my medieval town like having calcite as like a variant i think would be really really cool uh I, the thing that i'm concerned about with geodes is that once i find one um i'm pretty sure that in order for the um amethyst crystals to grow on the budding amethyst blocks you have to be nearby like i think it works like crops yeah yeah i expect it, it does doesn't just yeah so uh i'm i'm debating as to where i want to go looking for one uh, i don't know if i want to go and maybe try to find a geode in the modern city area because i feel like tinted glass which is more than likely what i'm going to be using the amethyst crystals for is going to be more useful in the modern city than the um than the medieval one mm -hmm. um so i'm just debating like do i want to try and find a geode there hopefully within the loaded chunks you know of when you're standing in downtown um Southport, like, is it going to be loaded? Uh, I didn't trim the chunks as tightly there as I did in other places, so I'm kind of on the fence as to where I want to to set that up. Because what I, I I envision myself doing is having something with like you know observers and and uh, pistons in order to like automatically collect uh, the the crystals as as often as you can. Yeah, yeah, it seems like the most sensible option. I expect there are a whole bunch of farms after the mechanics came out, mm -hmm. so easy yeah. to find designs for it at this point. And yeah, I'm. I'm kind of in the same boat. I see myself using the crystals primarily for tinted glass. The The blocks themselves look lovely, but I don't know what I'm going to make that feels that purple. I have noticed a really cool trend, and this was, I think, brought to our attention by uh, somebody in our Discord. I forget exactly who, uh, but they pointed out that people are making nether portals in geodes and using geode blocks to decorate nether portals because the purple matches up really well with the portal texture and... It's just really mm. cool to see a geode that then sort of goes somewhere else. Um, Obsidian kind of fits in with that block palette as well, pretty well. So I think that's a, a neat implementation of it and potentially like a good thematic thing for a server to do. Like if you all just had these mystical geodes that took you to the nether, it could be an interesting, uh, interesting uh, way to lay out your nether hub and so forth. But I think geodes so far mainly i think are, are going to be a source of those crystals for me to get hold of the the tinted glass i've noticed that using optifine normally i'm used to connected glass which i think optifine has enabled by default you can disable it they don't have a connected texture for tinted glass yet and i don't know if that's intentional or just you know an oversight because there's other things to be done but i think it's kind of nice that it doesn't have a connected texture because one it makes it more obvious that you're using tinted glass but two it also 
adds a nice kind of framing element that you're missing from having connected glass the rest of the time. It's a shame that you don't really have an option to have either one giant window or like lots of little blocks of windows and kind of pick and choose which ones you want the uh, the borders to be on and which you don't. But I think uh, tinted glass looks like a fun block to build with. And obviously from a functionality perspective, it's going to be really interesting to see how people are able to use it to keep an eye on mob spawners or you know various other bits and pieces where darkness is required. What have you found so far with Deep Slate? I have not really touched Deep Slate very much. I've been down to Deep Slate levels mining for resources, but I haven't really tried gathering it a whole lot. The main reason being it doesn't really work with the color palette for anything I've tried building yet, but also mm. I... You know, I, I find it a bit time-consuming to mine, and I having efficiency tools at this point, I can mine it relatively quickly, but it's still just faster to mine stone. And so it's not a sought-after block for me yet. I expect that will change, because the range of textures it has... Like, I forgot that we had deep slate tile stairs, slabs, and walls as well. Mm -hmm. So So those are going to be really fun to work with. Once I figure out the build that's right for them but right now that's not anything that i'm i've got my eye on and that i'm trying to build within a certain style uh how about you have you messed with deep slate much so we really lucked out in this ravine that we found in the mine in that there were some blobs of of deep slate and they were they're the biggest i've seen mm -hmm. uh in in the snapshot world i would come across something maybe like nine blocks wide three blocks tall that kind of a deal these are 20 30 deep six eight ten blocks tall like i got eight ten stacks of deep slate the first time there now i didn't notice a huge slowdown it's it's not as fast as stone but with a netherite pick in my citadel world like it really was not the end of the world to to get a lot of it plus you're kind of hanging out and chatting with the chat room um but the mistake that i made was mining it all with my main pickaxe which is a silk touch pick and I got back to uh, the medieval town to explore all the different variations and put it in the stone cutter and nothing happened. And it was then that I realized that the stone cutter does not do anything with deep slate. It has to be cobbled deep slate. Does it? To get... Yes. That's, and it's, that's something it's I completely a, overlooked, actually. <laughs> it's such an oversight, in my opinion. I wonder if it's a bug. Mm. Uh, and I'm going to be adding a data pack to then allow me to craft... Uh, all of the variants from Deep Slate. So you have to turn it all into cobble or, uh, as I did, go back on a second day because I did not feel like placing <laughs> eight stacks and redoing it. Re so I went back with my... Remining yeah, the entire thing. Exactly. So I went back with my uh, my other pick, my fortune pick, also another right pick, and just did the same thing. I just got another eight stacks of cobbled Deep Slate, which, as we've mentioned, very difficult to tell apart in your inventory. Uh, like, I would honestly just save yourself the trouble and have one shulker box for deep slate and one shulker box uh -huh. for cobble deep slate yeah i can see uh, that anyway happening. yeah once we got once we got things done then of course you put the cobble deep slate into the into the stone cutter and you have uh, all three different variants you've got cobbled deep slate you've got polished deep slate there's deep slate bricks and deep slate tile sorry there's four different variations from that one block uh, all of which have got stairs and slabs i think most of them have walls they don't all have walls um, correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, anyway, I did find that, uh, I had a black stone or a polished black stone brick roof in my main street. That was the best I had at the time for a dark roof that looked like tile. 
uh, and it's been bugging me ever since. So I went and tried a bunch of them. I tried uh, cobblestone. I tried, uh, sorry, again, I tried cobbled deep slate. I tried polished deep slate bricks, etc. And the tile ended up being the one that looked the most like roof tile, surprisingly. Uh, so I redid the entire roof with that. And it looks good from angles. If you're looking at it straight on, it's it's a very repetitive texture. It's very tiled. Uh, and there's a big light colored tile in the middle of the block that you just see repeated over and over again. Uh, but it's not something you see all the time. It's only something that you see if you're coming like very straight 90 degree angle right at the build. If you're coming at it from any kind of angle, it looks fine. Um, now on the flip side, the other roof block that I used uh, was the, just the plain cobble deep slate. It, it looks like a tiled or a bit of a, a, a jumbled together roof. And I put that on the smokehouse because I wanted it to look more like a little bit more of a rustic build, you know, something that might have been hand, you know, clay mortar kind of stuff. And I didn't want to do a wood roof because I wanted it, the whole thing to be made of materials that looked like they were, you know, flame proof. And um, again, lots of inventory headaches trying to just you know discern between the bricks and the polished and the cobble and the deep slate and very often i would have deep slate and cobble deep slate in my inventory and mix them up and yeah. try to do the wrong thing and it just it became quite frustrating so but yeah the that the um the crafting thing in in the um uh in the stone cutter was very surprising i, I like especially because silk touch is such a sought after enchantment and the fact that you're going to end up with a lot of this stuff without thinking uh is is a little bit strange to me that you can't do anything with it other than it's just a block the only thing you can do is turn it into cobble deep sleep and that's not consistent with stone either because you have to have smooth uh, natural stone to smelt it into smooth stone or craft it into stone bricks you can't craft cobble into anything other than cobbled variants of different blocks so exactly that that feels counterintuitive to what we're used to i guess and so i i kind of agree that sounds like it should be a bug to me but then again if deep slate is how we're meant to find it naturally in the world and it's got that kind of slaty feel to it then maybe the implication is that once we are working the material it's more malleable from there and that's why cobbled deep slate can turn into the other things it's it's curious I'm, I'm wondering if that is intentional or not and if it is maybe if there is a reasoning behind it um but yeah i i'm i'm surprised and i haven't worked with deep slate yet and i don't think i would have silk touched it if i gathered some early enough anyway but yeah i would i would be very surprised to find that that was a, a problem I think a data pack is a good solution to that, though. If it's not going to change, I think it would be nice to have a, a data pack that just lets you use the stone cutter to make everything else. Because I don't think it really feels like gameplay to to you know prevent you from crafting all of those different blocks with with regular silk touched deep slate. Um, if folks want a really cool example of deep slate tile roof as well, I will also recommend watching uh, FWIP's episode one of Empire's SMP because he's built a kind of really steep pitched roofed house using tiles to kind of outline the roof and kind of border the roof and then different variants of deep slate mixed into that and it's a really good use of the block. I think that's a really, really cool looking build. So I'm going to give him a, uh, a brief plug here as well. Oh man, I've I've seen the thumbnail scroll by on my on my YouTube subscriptions. I haven't had time to watch it yet, but yeah, it that uh, I've I've been champing at the bit to get to that and just see like how did he do that? <laughs> like I need I need to know. <laughs> Two more thoughts I had before we wrap up our discussion here. First of all, a positive. 
being able to make 3x3 blocks of raw copper and iron while caving has, for me, partly made up for the fact that bundles aren't in the base game yet. Because it's so nice to be able to clear up your inventory when you have, you know, it, as though you can now make a 3x3 resource block out of iron ore from previous updates, you know? Like, compacting it all down that way means you can bring home so many more resources and genuinely feels like a thoughtful approach to inventory management when caving, which is an activity people are going to do a lot in an update called Caves and Cliffs, so it makes a huge amount of sense. And it's also been a good way for me to keep track of how many copper blocks I have, given that the 3x3 recipe also applies to copper ingots when you're crafting it into the full block of copper. So if I think I have a ton of copper, but then I craft it into raw copper block and I realize, oh, I've only got 45 of those. That means I only have 45 copper blocks. I feel like that's, you know, that's a bit of a change. That 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 feels like it's indicating to me how much I'm going to come away with a lot more accurately, I feel like. It's like when you go mining for quartz and you fortune a ton of quartz and you're like, this is great. And then you craft it all and you realize you have 20 blocks worth because quartz is a two by two recipe. But yeah, right. I, I think... Um, I think the the three by three raw iron copper and gold, although I haven't done much gold mining, uh, are actually a really solid feature. And and that's you know <laughs> ironic though it is that we were all going bean blocks a little while ago, but genuinely a quality of life update, really good. I haven't experienced it uh, very much yet because I haven't gone out specifically with the fortune pick looking for copper. Uh, I was focused on dripstone and. And deep slate and stuff this time around uh, but because I was using a silk touch pick most of what I picked up ended up being just the copper ore blocks uh, including all the different variants of all the different ores that we would get in deep slate uh, and uh, I want to dangle this carrot in front of you I think I found at least three or four deep slate emerald uh, ore blocks that I then silk touched and have <laughs> in my possession yeah I I'm 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 so excited to get hold of some deep slate emerald you have no mm. idea it's very pretty yeah it's yeah. very cool it's, it's it's one of those things where it's like oh i i have instructions from the pixel rifts to leave this <laughs> either, <laughs> yeah. either alone in the wall or to be taken to be displayed somewhere specifically <laughs> i'm so i'm so glad it's catching on um yeah the, the other the other thing i wanted to mention uh briefly here is uh on on the more negative side I am finding it a little bit disappointing how frequently I find axolotls, glow squid, or just loose glow ink in caves where the mobs have clearly just spawned in a single water source coming out of the wall and an axolotl is just kind of bobbing there, chilling. You know, most of the time they're just kind of hanging out in the water, they're doing their swimming thing, but it's not exactly swimming around in a, a, a water pool or anything. It doesn't feel like the natural environment for the axolotl yet. And then with the glow squid, not only do they beach themselves out of the water like regular squid do in rivers, but also the loose glow ink can be picked up by mobs which then don't despawn and you get a ton of zombies walking around with glow squid ink. So I'm finding the zombies are now a glow squid ink delivery system more than the glow squid itself is. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I expect that this is going to be addressed when 118 comes out, but I do feel like even though the spawning rules for them have been revised to make sure that they can only spawn if there's water and then there's a stone block within a certain distance, so they're, they're not just going to spawn in every waterfall, I do find that it doesn't quite feel immersive to find a squid just kind of hanging out, slowly suffocating on the floor of a cave somewhere. I'm kind of wishing that 
somehow there was some means of making it possible for them to spawn underground but exclude these smaller water sources like making the water source like a minimum of a two by two area that they could spawn in or something like that would seem to make sense to me but uh yeah i'm not certain exactly what the parameters are either way it's a bit of a shame to find glow ink just littering the floor of a cave you're exploring yeah i've had the same experience with some odd glow squid situations uh, i get them spawning on the surface because uh turns out when you build a stone bridge uh over a natural river um you get the exact spawning conditions for glow squid right so <laughs> yeah they just spawn around underneath the bridge and then they swim around and beach themselves like you said the same way the normal glow squid or a normal squid does like it's just it's a little bit odd i went to go take a screenshot at night and i was just like because because i'm running optified it's like what on the oh it's a glow squid yeah uh-huh it's like what is that giant bright thing underneath my bridge okay <laughs> yeah the um the last thing I will say is that I still haven't touched everything about this update, and you said you hadn't either. You know, there's still no. there's still mm -mm. features like you know drip leaf. I haven't found a wandering trader that's come by and sold it, and I have encountered my share of wandering traders, especially in the in the desert biome. Um, you know, powder snow glow item frames. There's I, I think I haven't even messed around with glow text yet. I think all of that stuff is going to come up in time, but. For now, I think it shows that the breadth of the update is enough that you can't really... You can't go around and acquire all of this stuff in a day unless that is specifically your purpose. But getting hold of powder snow and that kind of stuff takes time as well. So mm -hmm. there are definitely some features that are going to come through as the weeks roll on and people are more used to this update. And we'll hopefully be seeing people using the whole update by the time we uh, start to hear more about 1.18. Any final thoughts before we close out today? I'm looking forward to, uh, as I mentioned, I think last week or the week before, kind of like having these blocks work their way into my build vocabulary. And even after just a, a weekend with them, I am anticipating them being more of a accent block with the exception of maybe Deep Slate being uh, useful in roofs. Uh, I, I'm staying and letting my, keeping my brain focused on the medieval area right now, but I can see also, uh, deep slate and tinted glass being very useful in a modern city with like, where there's a lot of concrete and mm. dark gray and stuff you want to use. So I, again, there's, there's more uses outside of where I'm currently focused. And I think that's something that's important to remember is that as we're, you know, bringing these new blocks in, bringing these new features into our, you know, our gameplay, what you're building right now, if you're a builder, like we are is probably whether you realize it or not limiting what you're thinking of using these blocks for until you start to go off and do something else um, i'm looking forward to seeing some of the content creators that i consider to be some of the most imaginative people that i follow and seeing what they do with this stuff because sometimes they're just off the wall you know mm -hmm. like just the kind of stuff that you can't predict they're just kind of like well it's like the, that story game, yes and. Like now that I have amethyst blocks, what can I do with these magical looking things? And there's like like the um, the uh, the portal thing that you mentioned earlier. There's going to be some really creative, really imaginative stuff coming. I think it's just going to take a little bit of time for the, all the reasons that you mentioned. It's hard to get in survival. Uh, and they take time to craft and time to harvest. So it's not going to be overnight where people are just kind of like, hey, look at this, you know. 
Well, uh, hopefully we're going to hear more of those stories as the weeks roll on. But that is going to be it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in. You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Joining our community there, pledging at any level, gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat, and it also gets us closer to our next goal of having a monthly Minecraft audio hangout where we can just shoot the breeze with our patrons about what we've all been doing in Minecraft that week. Uh, we're currently at 255 patrons, which is up from last week. Last week we are at 251, so thank you to the four people who have hopped on board this particular train, and special thanks to our content engineers, General Pattern 82 Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast, though. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say you should listen to The Spawn Chunks and then tell them that they can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Really, wherever you can find a podcast. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where lately I've really upped my output. <laughs> I've got two series on the go. One, a hardcore version of the Minecraft Survival Guide, where we do things a little faster, and the Empire's SMP series, where I'm collaborating with a bunch of other wonderful creators. I'm also streaming three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for both series, potentially just mining a lot of copper, because boy am I going to need some of that. I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which should at some point be back for Season 8 if the Hermits are. You can find that through a quick search on YouTube. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. If you're looking to hire me, just drop me a line through the website. My other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, is all about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. That's at thecitadelcafe.com, surprising no one. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am building a medieval town on The Citadel Friday, Saturday, and Sunday right now. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and it's aging like fine copper. <laughs>